Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell us the stone tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all, his, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. All right, I invite you guys to pray with me as we dive into God's word together. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to, to listen to your word, to be able to receive it with faith and by your spirit continue to walk closer to you. Father, I pray that you would open our, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to be able to receive what you have for us today. Lord, including myself, Lord. Uh, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. So we are continuing on in the sermon series, Why Jesus? And this week we are talking about how Jesus offers more than our personal identity, how Jesus offers more than just our personal identity. And it's kind of a weird, I'm not going to lie, like this, this might feel like a little bit of a stretch as we dive into the temptations of Jesus and talking about our personality, but one of the things that I've realized about the algorithms of the human experience is that oftentimes when we're dealing with circumstances or we're dealing with temptations, when we feel like we're at our weakest points, oftentimes we get a reveal of who our character is, right? And, and the way that we respond to certain circumstances or things that happen in our life when we're tempted, when we fall into sin, it kind of opens up a little bit of who we actually are. Right? And so we're going to use the temptations of Jesus in talking about uh, some of our weaknesses and vulnerabilities, about, about the human condition, how we fall into those so often, but yet how we can still put our trust and faith in who Christ is. But as always, uh, I'm always big into getting some context behind uh, the uh, reading that we just read. So Luke chapter 4 we were in. So if you guys have your Bibles or on your phones, you guys can open up to Luke chapter 4. We're going to spend some time in there. But before we even get to Luke chapter 4, I want us to go back words into Luke chapter 3, because I think that offers up a little bit of context for us in understanding this reason why Luke put this into the text, into his book. So Luke chapter 3, if you get to the end of Luke chapter 3, uh, there are two verses in there that talks about the baptism of Jesus. I think there's purpose for the author, Luke, to be able to write this into uh, his writings in the baptism of Jesus. In just two verses, this is what he says, verse 21, when all the people... We're being baptized. 
Jesus was baptized too. So there's this uh, community that's being uh, baptized, and Jesus is joining in with his community and being baptized. I, I think that's really cool how Jesus steps into the human experience together with his people and is also baptized. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love, with you who I am well pleased. You're my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then right after this, what happens, and so, so hang on to that. So Jesus was baptized. God the Father says, this is my son who I love and who I'm well pleased with. Right after that, we get into something called a genealogy, which is follows the family line of Jesus. Just like if you were to read Matthew chapter 1, what you'd read is it would go with uh, starting with Abraham at the top and work its way all the way down to Jesus. But the author Luke, in this case, he actually starts off with Jesus, and he works his way backwards. And I think there's purpose for that, especially after the baptism of Jesus and right, after, right before the temptation of Jesus. So verse 38, it says this. As he goes through the genealogy of Jesus, he, goes, he ends with the son of Adam, the son of God. So do you see where this connection is between this relationship that Jesus has with the Father? He says, you're my son who I love. And then Luke says, here's the genealogy of Jesus. And he ties it all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis uh, chapter 1. The son of Adam, the son of God. And so what Luke is trying to portray here is that this relationship that God has with Jesus is the same relationship that God had with Adam. And that Jesus is this second Adam. Whereas Adam fell into sin and brokenness through the fruit, Jesus is about to go through temptation. He's about to be tempted in similar ways that Adam was tempted from the very beginning. But, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ himself, God's son, he, he overcomes this temptation. Spoiler alert, he overcomes temptation. Um, he breaks through that temptation, right? So there's this connection between uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and Adam, the Son of God, together and making him the second Adam together, okay? So my hope is that as we go in through uh, Luke chapter 2, or sorry, Luke chapter 4, uh, this is not just like a moralist. My hope is for you guys is that you don't get a moralistic kind of view of like what not to do or how to overcome temptation in Luke 4 because the reality is that we oftentimes give into these temptations, right? And it's not for us to beat ourselves up, but for us to be able to look to the hope that's in Christ that overcame temptation, right? Jesus does what the first Adam couldn't do, and that gives us hope, right? So uh, my hope is that this is just not a morality sermon for you guys, okay? All right, so let's go into Luke chapter 4, verse 1. The first temptation that happens is uh, Satan goes to Jesus after he's been fasting. Uh, he's gone without food and water. So it says, in the, I love this obvious verse where it's like, Jesus, like for 40 days and 40 nights, went without food. So like after that, he was hungry. Like, duh, obviously. Uh, but Satan says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And I think this is interesting for us because sometimes when we go in through some of the different translations, sometimes the English uh, has a hard time translating the correct, or not the correct, but like uh, another version of how we are to look at this text. Because what Satan is not doing is saying, hey, I want you to prove yourself as being the son of God. Because remember, that was already proven to us through the baptism of Jesus. God says, this is my son who I love, right? And Satan knows that. Satan knows that Jesus is the son of God already. And plus, if you think about it, where is Jesus? 
He's in the wilderness. There, there's nobody around. He doesn't have to prove to anybody that he's the son of God. He's completely deserted without anybody but him and being tempted by Satan. So I think a better translation if we were to look at this. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right, so it says, since you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Right? And so there's this obvious temptation where Satan is like, doesn't just say, hey, go eat some bread. He's like, hey, turn these stones to bread, and then the bread will be enough temptation for you to want to eat, right? So this is obvious temptation that if you're hungry, eat something. But I think there's a little bit of more of a deeper meaning behind this. It says, since you are the son of God, go eat. If you're the son of God, if you're fully God and fully man, and you're in the wilderness without eating for 40 days, Go eat something. You, you can do it. You can speak everything into creation. You could tell these stones to become bread. If you have this power, if you have this position, then just go do it. it it's kind of like how we as, as American people, like our status as Americans, uh, we are probably more privileged than 90% of the rest of the world, right? We have this privilege of if we're hungry or if we feel like snacking or if, like me, you're just in the mood or you're bored, like you have this position to be able to walk into your kitchen, open your fridge, and see all the ingredients and things that you can make, put together something, go to your pantry, add some more things to it, and you can make a whole meal, right? Oftentimes for us, though, I'm talking more about myself, I go to the fridge, I open it up, I, I see all this food there, I'm like, I don't want any of this, or there's nothing in the fridge, right? And then I just go out and I go and buy myself some food. Uh, but we have this power, right? If we have this authority to be able to say, if we're hungry, we're just going to go eat, right? If, if we feel like we want to go eat, or if we're bored, there's this temptation to say, just go eat. Just go somewhere, or go make something, go do something, because we have that privilege to be able to do that. In that same way that Jesus has this power and position and privilege to say, if he could do it, then he should just do it, right? And the problem here is that the temptation is for Jesus to depend on his own power because of who he is. What Satan is saying, if you have this position and power, why don't you just use it? as much as possible. Turn these stones into bread. You could do it. Go get some water. Turn the sand into water. Go ahead. Feed yourself. Depend on yourself. And this is what Jesus says. He says, man shall not live on bread alone. If you guys see like a little text inside of your uh, Bibles, it links back to Deuteronomy. And Jesus actually doesn't finish the, the whole verse there where it says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what Jesus is saying is that Jesus' dependency does not come from him, but it comes from his father. He doesn't depend on his own power, his own privilege, his own position, but he's completely obedient to God the Father. And he depends on him for, for daily bread regularly. So how often do we depend on our own power to get what we want. We, we often depend on ourselves to be able to get what we want. Just like us when we walk into the fridge and we see all these things, right? We depend on our own will, our own power to get what we want. It's kind of like what Pastor Josh was talking about last week in talking about those little G gods, that idolatry, that the, the first thing that we oftentimes uh, idolize is the mirror, the person inside the mirror. It's ourselves, right? We depend on our own self for daily bread. All right, second one. Let's get to the second temptation. It says this, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world 
And Satan said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. If you worship me, it will all be yours. So, so at one moment, Jesus is in the wilderness. He has nothing around him. He didn't bring a guitar, by the way, just FYI, Tanner. Um, and all of a sudden, he gets taken up to a high place where he sees everything. And Satan says, if you worship me, it will, all of this will be yours. But it already belongs to God anyways. It already belongs to Jesus anyways. And Satan's saying, hey, you could, you could fast track your way through this. If you want to be king now, go ahead, take it all. But, but worship me. And, and the reality is that none of these things actually belong to Satan. And so the temptation here for us is that that we oftentimes pledge ourselves to empty promises, right? Just like how Satan went to Eve and was like, no, you're not going to die, right? You're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. This empty promise that Satan gives to us that, that we think will fulfill ourselves, right? And we're really good at this, right? I for me, one of the biggest things that I pledge myself as far as empty promises is the hope of two-day free shipping on Amazon. Can I get an amen there? Oh, man. When I see that brown box with that tape on there, I'm like, whoo, I can't wait to open this up because I feel like it's going to fulfill me. It's what I want, right? It's what I order on a regular basis. That's actually what I can't go 40 days without. I can't go without ordering on Amazon. Uh, yeah, it's a problem um, for me and my bank account. Anyways, but... There's this hope, right, that these things are going to fill us up, that we pledge allegiance to these empty promises. And it's not just things like Amazon, right? It's things like, like social media, right? I had to delete my Instagram like I think six months ago because I had this empty promise that I gave to myself that if I don't produce enough content, that people are going to just stop following me. That if I don't put up more pictures, if I don't stop, if I don't, keep putting up more things, posting more things, commenting, talking to people, that people are not going to like me, that people are just going to stop following me. And so my dependency was on that like button, right? How many times do we find ourselves dependent on that or looking for these empty promises that will never fulfill us? Or things like politics, right? We put our hope into one person that they're going to make it all happen, and they give all these promises, and the reality is that they're human beings just like you and just like me, and they don't always fulfill on what they say they're going to do, and so we get upset. Or we put our hope into an election that something's going to happen, and it doesn't. Or it does happen, and it doesn't go the way that we want it to. Or maybe it's self-image. I just heard that uh, Chris Hemsworth is, uh, started a new app for working out. Uh, by the way, he's Thor in all the Marvel movies. Um, I don't ever want to try that app out ever because I would have this self, like this realization, like I need to look like him in order to do these things. Like, I don't want to be like, oh, I would love to be like Thor. That would be awesome. But there's this reality of saying these things are going to make you feel better. You're going to look better. People are going to like you more. I could throw up my Instagram again, start producing how I'm making all these different results, right? These, these empty promises we find ourselves pledging our allegiance to. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All right, Jesus is positioning his allegiance to the Lord, right? And his position is not just for his own personal gain, 
right? He's pledging himself to Jesus, to, to the Lord God himself who provides, not so that he can build himself up, but so that he can serve other people, All right? Jesus didn't come to this world to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's so that he can be able to serve and help other people rather than building himself up. And I heard this really good quote in one of my classes that I started last week. And it goes something like this. Our professor said, freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. That's more like bondage. Where you find freedom is where you find fulfillment or purpose in accordance with your nature. Let me say that last part again. Where you find freedom is where you find fulfillment or purpose in accordance with your nature. That, that we are most free when we live out our purpose to be able to worship God and to serve him only. All right, third temptation. This is where Satan says uh, they're in Jerusalem on the highest part of the temple. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And he quotes from a very early text in Psalm 91 that the angels are going to catch him and care for him, that they're not going to let his foot hit a stone. And so what he's saying here is like, doesn't God love you? That if you're God's son, throw yourself down from here. He's going to catch you. Doesn't he love you? Won't he rescue you? And I think part of the reason why he shares this is so the temptation is to prove yourself to God and the world. Now, I have a thought when it comes to this last temptation, and this is, you could take it or leave it. This is the gospel according to AJ from here. I don't know if that's heretical or not. Anyways, but there's this reality that Jesus was at the temple, right, where people came and offered sacrifices and they'd worship. And Jesus knew before he even started his earthly ministry, because this is before he starts engaging with the people and starts doing all these miracles and teachings and healings, he probably already knows ahead of time that the people, especially the Jewish people during that time, were probably not going to believe him and eventually reject him. And Jesus knew that his ministry was that he's going to go to the cross and lay down his life. And so if we were to kind of dissect this, if Jesus were to jump, from the temple, and the angels were to catch him, wouldn't you think that the Jewish leaders and the people during that time, they would see that, and they'd immediately think back to, oh, Psalm 91, that the angels caught him so they wouldn't let his foot strike a stone. This is an incredible sign, an incredible miracle. We are going to believe, and it's going to be great. We, we finally believe that this Jesus is the Messiah that has been talked about since the Old Testament. And there might be this temptation that Jesus could say, I'm going to use this sign so that people can see who I am, that, that they're going to know me by my sign from Psalm 91. But one of the great things that we have is that Jesus is not a manipulator so that people would follow after him. I think so many times we think about our own lives and we think about, you know, what if God just did this? Or, hey, one of my friends is not a believer. Like, I wish God would just, like, show him a sign so it would just happen. Jesus is not a manipulator so that people would follow after him. And so this is what Jesus says in response. He says, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And as we think about our own human experience, how often do we try to put God to test, either to prove him or ourselves to the world? But, but here's the beautiful thing, church, is that we already have God's attention. John 3, 16, for God so loves the world, which means he loves 
each and every one of us, and he sees each and every one of us. We, we don't have to try to gab for his attention. And also we have and we serve a God that refuses to manipulate us. How often do we try to prove ourselves to the world that we're worthy? And so as we think about these three different temptations, just some thoughts as we kind of wrap up. Jesus offers more than just our personal identity. And I think, as I talked about before, these temptations often reveal something about who we are as humans, right? So we have this dependency on ourselves, rather God. We have these empty promises that we pledge to ourselves. Or we try to prove that we're worthy to other people or to God. And so I have just three promises that I want to kind of think about as we think about this, these temptations of Jesus, as we talk about what it means that Jesus offers more than just our own personal identity. The first one is this, is that you are God's child. And I love this text from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, uh, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but an heir, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. We, we are God's children. And, and the reality is that our reality is aligned with Christ's reality. That those same words that when Jesus was baptized, he says, you are my son, who I love and I'm well pleased, are the same words that he gives to us through Jesus' death and resurrection, right? The, the second one is this, is that God is enough. Time and time again, God proves in his Old Testament, right, that he is faithful and that he is enough to provide for the Israelites when they're in the wilderness, when they go to war, that all they need is God. God is enough, and that's my hope for us today, is that we would be able to say, you know what, God is enough. There's this worship song I've been, been vibing on for the past uh, few weeks, and it says this. Uh, it's called Jaira, which in Hebrew means enough. Um, it's by Maverick City Music. It says, I'm already loved. I'm already chosen. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I can imagine, and that is enough. And I think that's so important, that promise that God is enough, because the last thing is that you are enough. Because God is enough, you are enough. And COVID has proven that the world's expectations will never be enough, right? When things continue to change, we realize that nothing that the world promises us will ever be enough for us. If we continue to live in the expectations of others, we'll find that we'll never be enough that our center should be on Christ and Christ alone. And God's word was enough for Jesus to overcome temptations in the wilderness. We're enough because God is enough. And he's called us his children. And that's enough for us. And so Jesus offers this more, this per, more than our personal identity. He says, you're, you're my child. I'm enough for you. And because I'm enough, you are enough. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, that you are enough, that you are more than enough for us. 
And Lord, so many times we, we put our dependency on ourselves to be able to provide our own daily bread. But Lord, you graciously tell us that, that you care for us as our Father, that you continue to provide daily bread for us day in and day out. Father, I thank you so much that, that you are a God that, that loves us so much, that sent his son Jesus to be able to lay down his life for us. Father, I, I thank you so much for that full promise that we will receive life in full through the work of your son Jesus, that the world's expectations will never be enough for us. But God, you provide a way for us to say, I love you and you are enough. Father, I thank you so much that that your truth is real and that it's present and it lives inside us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that this would be our heartbeat today, that we would continue to depend on you and you alone. To your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Mm -hmm.